0: Seated, children can go to children's church. 5, 1 Thessalonians 5, if you're using one of the Pew Bibles there, it's page 988, 1 Thessalonians 5, we're going to be talking again about replacing complaining with thanksgiving, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Thessalonians chapter 5, and before we read God's Word, let's pray. Please, O Lord, help us. We are are weak. We are helpless. We are powerless without you. So please, Lord, open our eyes and our hearts to be fed by your Word. Uh, Please give us conviction, mind renewal, repentance, transformation. Lord, please help me to preach in a fitting manner, in a manner that um, is appropriate to this passage, appropriate to your glory. Do great things now, we pray, through Jesus our Lord. Amen. 1 Thessalonians 5, reading verse 18. This is God's word. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. May God give us ears to hear his word. One of our most beloved Christmas stories is Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol. It seems like we never grow old of hearing Ebenezer Scrooge's story of redemption. A Christmas story, or a Christmas carol, not a Christmas story, it's a totally different movie, but a Christmas carol, it's been told and retold, read and reread, it's been turned into about a zillion movies, and millions have enjoyed it every year since its publication in 1843. Now, the theology behind a Christmas carol is uh, bizarre at best. Christians, we can and should object to visits from ghosts, uh, to Jacob Marley's spirit walking the earth in chains. All, all of that is nonsense. But there is something that A Christmas Carol gets completely right, and that's the transforming power of gratitude. What is it that transformed Ebenezer Scrooge from a, a miser, from this greedy, grumpy old man into this very generous do It was gratitude for what he had been delivered from. And in this respect, a Christmas carol is illustrating a vital biblical truth. At the end of the day, what transforms people most, uh, most deeply, most powerfully, is not shame, and it's not guilt, and it's not fear of punishment, or fear of hell, or fear of prison, or fear of the police, or fear even of your parents. No, what transforms people most powerfully and profoundly, and what best motivates love and good works, is gratitude. Gratitude. Gratitude for God's gifts in general and gratitude more specifically for the gift of his son. In the long run, that will do infinitely more to motivate good works than any other factor. Along these lines, we're reminded of the account of the sinful woman that Chris read for us earlier from Luke 7. A Pharisee has a party and Jesus is there. And who is it that happens to walk in uh, but that woman that everybody knows? And yet clearly by this point in the story, she's been transformed. As soon as she saw Jesus, she began to wet his feet with her tears, to wipe them with her hair, she breaks out this ointment and begins anointing his feet. When the pharisee sees this, he's outraged. Doesn't Jesus know what kind of woman this is? But do you remember Jesus' explanation? What motivated this woman's extravagant love and good works? Luke 7:47. Therefore I tell you her many pardon me, her many sins have been forgiven as your great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. I say it again, what best motivates love and good works is not guilt or fear or shame or love of money or whatever, but gratitude, thankfulness for God's gifts in general and for God's Son in particular. And it's these themes of thanksgiving and more specifically the transforming power of thanksgiving that we're going to be meditating on this morning as we study 1 Thessalonians 5.18. Now, as you can see, today is part two of a little series we began last week, so let me remind you quickly of what we learned last week. Last week, we began by a careful study of verse 18 in context, and what we saw is the way in which this command is really quite straightforward and simple. Like rejoicing always, like praying without ceasing, we are to give thanks continually. Uh, Those are three activities that we never have an opportunity not to do. But while this command is straightforward and simple, that does not mean it's easy. It's actually impossible to do without the help of God's Spirit. And one of the points we made last week was that essential to learning how to give thanks in all circumstances is a belief in the sovereignty of God. It's only when we really believe that God works all things together for good. It's only when we really believe that God is at work bringing everything together according to his sovereign plan. It's only when we believe that what men mean for evil, that what God means for good. It's only when we really believe that deep down that we'll be enabled to give thanks in all circumstances. Last week, we also briefly discussed the sin of complaining, and we discussed complaining in conjunction with thanksgiving for two reasons. Do you remember these? Uh, the first is because in the Bible's whole theology of how we change and grow, you always put off sinful habits and replace them with good godly habits. You, you don't cultivate godliness in a vacuum. So if thanksgiving is the godly habit we want to cultivate, we've got to therefore put off the ungodly habit of complaining. Uh, the other reason why we consider these, uh, these two items together is because of that phrase, in all circumstances. What does that imply? That implies that no matter what we're going through, we're still to find some reason to give thanks, Uh, in sickness and in distress, in in health and in suffering. No matter what, we're to find something to give God thanks for. And yet, in our flesh, what's our temptation? Our flesh is to take those not-so-pleasant circumstances and to turn them into opportunities to complain. Now, it's easy to give thanks when there's rainbows in the sky and, you know, butterflies flying around and everybody's healthy and happy. It's easy. It's almost natural to give thanks then. Uh, But when the family's not doing too well and maybe the uh, cupboards are bare and the, the kids aren't doing too well, then it's very difficult to give thanks. But that's exactly not what we're called to do. We're called to give thanks in all circumstances. So for these two reasons, we're considering these two items together. We're putting complaining to death and cultivating thanksgiving. Now, this morning, I want to do something a little bit unusual. I told you last week that we'd be giving some further reflections on cultivating thanks, uh, really trying to get down to the bare bones of how we cultivate gratitude, and that is what, indeed, I want to do, Uh, but I want to do it in a rather unusual manner. If you know me, I love the Puritans. Uh, Through their books, through their examples, they have fed my soul for years. And over the summer, I read another Puritan book called The Godly Man's Picture by Thomas Watson. Uh, Raise your hand if you've ever heard of this book, The Godly Man's Picture. Well, maybe four or five of you. It's a good book. It's it's, it's basically a collection of sermons on what true godliness looks like with lots of practical help about how how you and I can cultivate godliness. Uh, It's powerful, but it's also very convicting. Well, in this book, Thomas Watson has a section on thankfulness. And I started uh, sort of pillaging it for good ideas earlier last week. But I got to the point where I started thinking, you know, actually they would benefit from hearing this entire thing. You know, if only Thomas Watson were still alive to be here to preach this section to my congregation. Uh, But alas, he died in 1686. So here's what I decided to do. I actually took this entire section and created my own translation of it. You know, Obviously, language from the 1600s is a little bit different than how we speak today. Uh, so I created a 21st century translation of this section that I'm going to be trying to preach to you. So if it seems a little bit like, you know, this doesn't sound like Pastor Tim, that's the reason why. Uh, now, let me stress that all of the ideas, all of the points do come from Thomas Watson. But I kind of made a, if you know how English translations work, this is kind of like the NIV. Not like the message, you know, I didn't, you know, put, put other stuff in there, but this is kind of like my effort at preaching his sermon on thankfulness in 21st century language. Now, I virtually never do this, you know, if you're visiting today and you're thinking, does this happen often? No, this does not happen often. Usually I'm preaching, you know, my own ideas. But again, I, I thought it would be beneficial for you to hear from an older saint on this topic of gratitude and how to cultivate it. So from this point forward until just before the conclusion, these are all Thomas Watson's thoughts. A godly person is a thankful person. Giving God thanks is the work of heaven, and believers who learn how to give thanks in this life are actually beginning what we're going to do throughout all of eternity. The ancient Jews had this idea that the earth rested on three pillars, on the Torah, which we call the Pentateuch, the worship of God, and thankfulness. And if one of those three legs of the stool ever were to collapse, the entire universe would collapse, which tells you how important they thought Thanksgiving was. The Hebrew word for give thanks, it's derived from the idea of shooting upwards. And the godly believer, he's continually shooting up his thanks to God all day long, all his life long, firing arrows of praise up to God. I think King David is our great example here. He was known as the man after God's own heart and as the sweet psalmist of Israel. And if you read his psalms, you'll see how he's continually offering up praise and thanksgiving to God. For example, in Psalm 9:1, he taught us to sing this, I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount all of your wondrous deeds. I will be glad and exalt in you. I will sing your praise, O Most High. Even believers at their lowest point still have this Holy Spirit-inspired inclination to praise and thanks God. You might think of the prophet Jonah here. Josh, uh, Jonah was filled with sinful anger. His heart was a raging sea, raging more powerfully than the sea outside. And yet, even in this flood of sinful rage, we still see hints of gratitude. Now, consider what Jonah prayed in chapter 2, even from the belly of the fish. This is what he said, Jonah 2.9. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Yet even though true believers have this Holy Spirit-prompted inclination to give God thanks, we're still commanded to thank God everywhere in Scripture. Psalm 44.8. In God we have boasted continually, and we will give thanks to your holy name. Psalm 75, 1. We give thanks to you, O God. We give you thanks, for your name is near. We recount all of your wondrous works. Psalm one thirty-six, twenty-six. Give thanks to the God of heaven, for his steadfast love endures forever. What's more than that, think about this. Only the truly godly can give God sincere thanks. Only the truly godly can give God sincere thanks. It's just like this. Not everybody has the ability to play the guitar. Similarly, not everybody has the ability to give God sincere thanks. Of course, anybody can learn to recite words to say, I thank you. Kind of like the kid at the table who says, you know, tell the waitress, thank you. But they don't really mean it from the heart. Unbelievers, they are dead in sin. How can they express living thanks? Romans 8 8 says, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Similarly, giving thanks is something that's only appropriate for godly people to do. Psalm 33 says, shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous, praise befits the upright. An ungodly person sprouting God's praises is kind of like a dunghill sprouting daisies. How inappropriate is for anybody to thank God while his entire life dishonors God? It's as incongruous for an unbeliever to thank God as it is for, say, a pirate to talk about loving his neighbor or an atheist to talk about living by faith. Gratitude is a garment that really looks beautiful only on the child of God. Here's something else to consider. Thanksgiving is a more noble expression of our worship. What do I mean by that? Well, so often our prayers are motivated, frankly, by selfishness. Lord, give me this. Lord, give me that. It's really all about me and what I want, and the scriptures itself warn against this. And even even non Christians, unbelievers, are sometimes motivated to cry out to God for deliverance for some selfish reason. But only the sincerely converted can pause to sincerely thank God. In our prayers of petition, we're acting like humans simply ought to act, but in our prayers of thanksgiving, we're acting like angels. In Psalm 50, 23, God's word says this, the one who offers thanksgiving glorifies me. Now think about that. We can do nothing to increase God's intrinsic glory. He's as glorious as he's ever going to be. And yet when we do give him thanks, we exalt him in the eyes of others. Thanking God is a setting forth of his honor. It's a lifting up of his name. It's a displaying the trophies of his grace and his goodness. It's a proclaiming of his excellence and worth to others. It's a spreading of his reputation. It's a breaking open the vial of perfume by which the sweet savor of his name is spread forth into the world. And this is why the Psalms constantly connect giving thanks with evangelism, giving thanks with proclaiming his name among the nations. Have you ever noticed this? Psalm 92.1, it is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your steadfast love in the morning, your faithfulness at night. Psalm O one, oh, give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the peoples. One more, Psalm 106.47, save us, O Lord our God, and gather us from among the nations that we may give you thanks. Maybe the reason, just maybe the reason why we don't have more evangelistic conversations is because we're not more open in thanking God for his blessings in the presence of non Christians. Maybe if we were in the habit of just spontaneously praising God for his gifts, then unbelievers would take notice and ask us about the reason for the hope that's within us. Moreover, think about this when we give thanks, we're proving that we are actually better than demons. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, do you talk about God? Well, so can the devil. Can you quote the Bible? Satan himself quoted the Bible to Jesus in the wilderness. You observe many religious customs and traditions, Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. You profess with your mouth that you believe, the demons believe and shudder. But just like Moses worked miracles that the Egyptian magicians could not reproduce, when Christians give God sincere thanks, we're doing a work that the demons simply cannot do. Demons can blaspheme, but they cannot bless. They can persecute, but they cannot praise. Learn from all of this the true nature and appearance of godliness. The godly Christian spends much time in praise and thanksgiving. Christians were called temples of the Holy Spirit. Where should God's praise and thanksgiving be more than in the temple of God? The godly heart never tires of praising God. Think of Psalm 34.1. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my, my mouth. Many are thankful, and then a few moments later, they forget the blessing God has just given them. But the godly are mindful of God's gifts their whole life long. It's like David said in Psalm 146.2. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to, the, to, to my God while I have being. More than that, the godly are thankful in both their duties and their obligations. Psalm, pardon me, Philippians 4.6, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. As we've been talking about in this little series, the godly give thanks in every situation, both in happiness and in sadness, both in adversity and in prosperity, both in trials and in joys. Hopefully by now you've memorized 1 Thessalonians 5.18, which says, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Godly believers are thankful if they've been brought near to God, even if that was by means of an affliction. When it goes well with a believer, we thank God for his mercy. But when it goes poorly, we praise God for his justice. Think about Job in this regard. Though the devil struck Job, it was as if he had struck a musical instrument. Because what did Job say in the midst of his affliction? Job one twenty one: Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Even the saints' tears cannot drown their praises. Now, if my depiction of the godly Christian is accurate, how truly few saints, godly saints, are there? How few are devoted to giving God thanks at all times. How few are devoted to giving God thanks in all circumstances. You can't help but be reminded of that time when Jesus healed the ten lepers. And how many returned to give him thanks? Luke 17, 17, Jesus answered, Were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give thanks to God except this foreigner? Most of the world takes their reasons for thanking God and buries them in the ground. Walk through any public place and you'll hear swearing, you'll hear cursing, but essentially no thanking God. Some, instead of thanking God for his gifts, actually return evil for good. God's blessings, instead of making them holy, make them worse. Like Deuteronomy 32.15 says, Jeshurun grew fat and kicked, you grew fat, stout and sleek. Then he forsook the God who had made him and scoffed at the rock of his salvation. In light of all of this, let us examine ourselves to see if we are sincerely thankful. True godliness, true gratitude, true thankfulness its probably more rare and more difficult than you may have imagined. How do we know if we're sincerely thankful? Let me give you several guidelines. First, you intentionally count your blessings? Do you intentionally count your blessings? In Isaiah 63, 7, we read this, I will recount the steadfast love of the Lord, the praises of the Lord, according to all that the Lord has granted us. According to his compassion, according to the abundance of his steadfast love. We all know that as people age, one of the first faculties to go is the memory. Something similar can take place in the spiritual realm, an awareness of our blessings, a memory of our blessings that can fade like a shadow at noonday. Psalm 106.13, But they soon forgot his works and did not wait for his counsel. Realize a godly Christian, they record their blessings, either literally in a in a journal, or at least in their hearts, so that they might not be forgotten. God's gifts should be viewed as treasures to be locked away for safekeeping. The godly Christian, they keep two records. One containing your sins to remind you of how humble you ought to be, but the other containing your gifts to remind you of how grateful you ought to be. Here's another indicator that we are truly grateful. When we sing with all of our heart in corporate worship, When we sing with all of our heart in corporate worship, the Psalms are filled with this kind of thinking. Psalm 111, 1. Praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart in the company of the upright in the congregation. David would praise God not merely with his harp, but also with his heart. If the heart does not sing in corporate worship, really, I mean, what are we doing? We're really no different than parrots that can be taught to mimic sounds and words. Here's another indicator that we're truly thankful. When our blessings serve to increase our love for God. When our blessings serve to increase our love for God. When God delivered David from his enemies, what was his response? It moved him to say in Psalm 1, I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. You know, it's one thing to appreciate God's gifts. It's another thing to appreciate God. It's one thing to love God's blessings. It's another thing to love the blesser. And really, the essence of idolatry is to love the created thing more than the creator. Additionally, we're sincerely thankful when, in our giving of thanks, we acknowledge our own unworthiness. When, in our giving of thanks, we acknowledge our own unworthiness. The sincerely godly Christian, they speak like Jacob did in Genesis 32.10. I am not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you have shown your servant. You know, when a truly godly Christian recognizes how sinful they are, how gracious God has been to them, how much God has blessed them both temporally and spiritually, they they stand back and think, what in the world has happened here? Who am I that God would bring me this far? I am not worthy of the least of your blessings. Do you catch what I'm describing? Have you experienced this yourself? Here's another indicator that we're sincerely God or grateful. I know we've made this point a few times already, but the sincerely grateful are transformed by God's blessings. They're transformed by God's blessings. We respond by loving our neighbor. If the Lord has given us health, we use that health to serve others. If the Lord has given us a home, we use that home for hospitality. If the Lord has given us children, we raise up those children in the discipline and the nurture of the Lord. We don't take the gifts that God has given us and bury them in the ground, but we maximize those talents for fruitfulness. This is the right response to God's gifts. A thankful heart is fertile soil uh, that once the seeds of God's blessings fall upon it, it produces a crop, and some of us a hundred times over. Just a few other indicators of whether or not we're sincerely godly. We can also know we're sincerely godly when we're more grateful for spiritual blessings than temporal when we're more grateful for spiritual blessings than temporal. Ephesians 1.3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. A truly godly believer thanks God more for the fruit of the Spirit than the fruit of the ground. He's more thankful for the kingdom of God than any earthly kingdom, including the United States. A godly believer is more thankful for the s- smile of God's face than all the treasures of Solomon. Solomon. Couple more. Another sign that we're sincerely thankful is when we encourage others to give God thanks. When we encourage others to give God thanks. Again, the Psalms are characterized everywhere by this. Psalm 34.3, O oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Psalm 34, sing praises to the Lord, O you his saints, and give thanks to his holy name. God loves to hear us sing his praises, but do you know what he loves even more? When we join with other believers and become a choir singing his praises together. You've probably heard about the one drunk who goes into a tavern and starts singing, and next thing you know, the entire tavern is singing with him. In a similar but holy manner, individual believers are called upon to stir up one another to song, to singing God's praises enthusiastically. Here's another indicator that we're sincerely godly. We're sincerely godly when we not only speak God's praise, but live God's praise. When we not only speak God's praise, but live God's praise. We not only give thanks, but we live thanks. Those who are recipients of God's gifts should be examples of godliness. I mean, just think about it. To praise God with your lips, but to dishonor him with your life? That is the worst hypocrisy. It's almost in the same category as those soldiers who mock, worship Jesus, and then spit in his face. Here's a final sign that we're truly godly, truly thankful. We're truly thankful when we encourage our children and grandchildren to give God thanks. When we encourage our children and grandchildren to give that God thanks. You know, those of us who are parents and grandparents, we really ought to be in the habit of sharing with our children and grandchildren how God has blessed us. Tell of how he has supplied all of our needs, how he has healed us from sickness, how he has strengthened us in some temptation, how he has protected us from Satan, the evil one. Psalm 44, 1. O oh God, we have heard with our ears, our fathers have told us what deeds you performed in their days. By communicating to our children and grandchildren how God has blessed us, God's name will be conveyed to the next generation. His mercies will bring forth an abundant crop after we're six feet under. The Psalms frequently ask the question, shall the dead praise you? In one sense, they shall, if we communicate a record to our children and grandchildren of God's blessings. They'll be thanking God for the blessings we received long after we've left this world. Now, because of all of this, I want to help us develop a a right view of the practice of thanksgiving, a right view of its significance, its centrality, its importance. Or in the words of Psalm 29, 2, Ascribe to the Lord the glory to his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Let me give you a few things to consider. First, thanking God is a virtue. It's a virtue. You want to do a good work? Pause and thank God for his gifts. Psalm 147.1, praise the Lord. It is good to sing praises to our God. It is a pleasant thing and a song of praise is fitting. Why did God give you a tongue? He gave you a tongue in part so that you would use it to thank him. Yet how often do we misuse our tongues and use them for complaining and murmuring? Additionally, and I know I've made this point several times already, but again, giving thanks to God is transformative. It's transformative. It not only glorifies God, but it makes us increasingly holy. It makes us like the Son of God. The more thankful we are, the more holy we become. While giving God what He is due, He at the very same time and in the very same act is giving us grace to be transformed. In human business, the more you spend, the less money you have. But in this kind of divine business, the more we spend on thanksgiving, the more spiritual riches we accrue. You think about it, but giving God thanks, really all it is is giving him his due. It's giving him his due. And again, the Psalms make this point a couple of times. Psalm 717, I will give the Lord the thanks due his righteousness. Psalm 65, 1, praise is due to you, O God, in Zion. Giving God thanks and praise, it's really all that you, me, the entire universe was created for. Earthly kings, they often collect from their subjects portions of the harvest as their rent, like a taxes in our day. But the king of heaven, he allows us to live on his earth, and the only rent he asks for is thanksgiving. And what's more, consider all the great reasons we have to be thankful. What Clusters of mercies appear when we simply pause to count our blessings. We'll start saying like David did in Psalm 40, verse 5, You have multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts toward us. None can compare with you. I will proclaim and tell them, yet they are more than can be told. Consider for a moment the temporal blessings we enjoy. Every day God is showering us with new measures of heavenly manna. In him we live and move and have our being. Every day he does us good by giving us rain from heaven, fruitful seasons, satisfying our hearts with food and gladness. His mercies are new every morning. Our God is the God of Genesis 48, 15, the God who has been my shepherd all my life long up to this day. God has protected you from dangers and enemies. Just think about this. How many occasions were there when you were afraid something bad was going to happen to you, but God protected you from that very thing you feared? While others died in their sleep last night, the Lord roused us this morning. While others died in car accidents this morning, the Lord kept you safe coming here to church. This isn't technically true, but it almost feels as if he cares more for us than anybody else in the entire world. Even as we walked through the worst valley of the shadow of death, we still saw rainbows of God's love. Swimming in such a sea of temporal blessings, how could our hearts not give him thanks? But what's even greater are the spiritual blessings we have in Christ. These should move us to thank God all the louder. For those of us who are united to Jesus by faith, we have been giving living water such that we'll never be thirsty again. We have been clothed in a righteousness that's more bright and beautiful than any of the angels wear. He's given us the best robe, he's put the best ring on our fingers, and we're married to him. These are blessings of the greatest value imaginable and deserve to prompt us to praise. But what's more, God has even greater spiritual blessings yet in store for his children in the life to come. Now we drink true spiritual wine, but God has reserved the best wine for the wedding supper of the the Lamb. In this life we enjoy some drops of honey from God's love, but in paradise we shall swim in a river of heavenly delights forever. Listen to Psalm 1611, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. When you you consider such amazing blessings, both temporal and spiritual, how could our hearts not burn with gratitude? Just a couple more reflections on gratitude and thankfulness, and we'll be done. But I hope you've caught on to the way in which gratitude is actually good for you. Gratitude is that you want to do something that's good for yourself? Cultivate thankfulness. You can think about it this way. While we totally despise and eschew this prosperity gospel, it does make sense that God is more delighted to give his gifts to those who thank him for them than to those who are ungrateful and forget about them. Gratitude is like pouring kerosene on the fire, just like musicians like to play their instruments in a building with perfect acoustics. So, also, God loves to give gifts to those who will echo back Thanksgiving. Additionally, gratitude is an attitude God delights in. Gratitude is an attitude God delights in. We're told in Luke 15, 7, that there is joy in heaven whenever a sinner repents. Something similar must be said whenever a sinner is sincerely thankful. If repentance is the joy of heaven, it's as if gratitude provides the music. Now, in light of all that we've said this morning, can you see how great and heinous a sin ingratitude is? An ungrateful spirit, it will color all of your other sins and increase their guilt. Moreover, and I don't have time to really develop this, but ingratitude actually gives rise to other sins. If you develop this sort of entitled, ungrateful spirit, don't be surprised if you start sinning in a wide variety of ways. Psalm 78, 11, They forgot his works and the wonders that he had shown them. Then they sinned still more against him, rebelling against the Most High in the desert. Though God delights to forgive sin and is glorified in forgiving our sins, there are occasions where God talks almost as if he will not forgive our ingratitude. Now again, theologically, we know that he will in Jesus if we repent, but there's a sense in which he is so offended by ingratitude that it's almost like, I can't bring myself to overlook this. Jeremiah 5.7, How can I pardon you? Your children have forsaken me and have sworn by those who are no gods. When I fed them to the full, they committed adultery and trooped to the houses of whores. Joshua 24, 19, Joshua said to this people, You are not able to serve the Lord your God, for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgression and sins. To have this heart that refuses to give God the thanks he is due is to be worse than a beast. You think about it, beasts, even though they do savage things, they're actually just acting according to their nature. When we fail to give God thanks, we're failing to do the very thing we're created for. An ungrateful Christian, that is an oxymoron indeed. The ungrateful, they are beneficial neither to heaven nor on earth and actually never do anything well. There's something else to consider. Thomas Watson and somewhat me, Pastor Tim, believes that ingratitude is involved in so many of the judgments that have befallen us. Ingratitude is involved in so many of the judgments that have befallen us. Lack of gratitude for good health is sometimes chastened by sickness. Lack of gratitude for good leaders has resulted in unjust, dishonest leaders. Not treasuring the gospel in our land has resulted in what? Churches shutting down and a flood of immorality. What Jesus said in Luke thirteen seven of the Jewish nation could be said of America today. Look, for three years now I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree and I find none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? It's only God's sheer mercy that our entire nation hasn't been wiped off the face of the earth because of our ingratitude. ingratitude it's as if it plugs up the conduit of God's blessings so that they cease pouring out on us. And I think for many, many decades now, we have been enjoying God's sheer, unmerited patience, and that is all. In concluding this section, I want to briefly answer one final question. What can we do to increase our gratitude? What can we do to increase our gratitude if ingratitude is such a serious sin and if thankfulness is accompanied by such great blessings? How can I grow here? Two suggestions. First, if you desire to be thankful, become deeply aware of your own sinfulness. If you desire to be thankful, become deeply aware of your own sinfulness. One of the most frequently repeated phrases, not phrases, sentences in the Bible is God opposes the proud but give, gives grace to the humble. A humble, contrite heart is the best harp to sound forth God's thanks. And when you really come to understand how sinful you are, how we're sinners both by nature and by choice, in a way you'll be surprised God has blessed us with anything. You'll say what Paul said in 1 Timothy 1.12, I thank God who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, though formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man. How incredibly grateful Paul was. He trumpeted forth God's free grace. But where did that come from but an awareness of his sinfulness? At the same time, a proud person, they simply cannot be thankful. It's as if they lack the ability. A proud person, they look at all that they have and they think, I either worked for this or I deserve this. If I have money, I earned it. If I have a home, I bought it. If I have an education, it was me who went to school and took the tests and wrote the papers. But all the while they forget what the Bible teaches. Deuteronomy 8.18. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth. We only ever live in the strength that God provides. And were God to take that away, we'd have absolutely nothing. Make no mistake, pride dams up the river of gratitude. So brothers and sisters, become well acquainted with your own sinfulness. Come to the point where you look at yourself as the least of saints, as the chief of sinners, and then you can't help but be grateful. Quickly, a second and final suggestion for increasing your gratitude. Second, if you desire to be thankful, pay careful attention to the work of God's Spirit in your life. If you desire to be thankful, pay careful attention to the work of God's Spirit in your life. Now, if you're a believer on the Lord Jesus, the Spirit of God is dwelling in you. He came into you the moment you trusted in Jesus, and he'll abide in you until your very last day. Through thick and thin, through richer and poorer, all the way until you make it to heaven, the Spirit's going to be there, bringing to completion that work that he began. This is simply one more of the countless blessings Jesus purchased for all of his people. Now, most Christians know what I just said about God's Spirit dwelling in us, but I don't think they really get what that means. What is the Spirit doing in my life? I mean, is he just kind of hanging out there? Well, here's what it means. Any conviction of sin that you've ever experienced or will experience is a work of God's Spirit in your life. Any desire to say, read the Bible, pray, fellowship with God's people, that is a work of God's Spirit in your life. Any inclination to repent, to put sin to death, that is a work of God's Spirit in your life. Any desire to share the gospel with your neighbor, to raise up your kids in godliness, to sing God's praises, to do good to others, that is a work of God's Spirit in your life. You could, you could think of it this bluntly. If you woke up this morning still believing the gospel, still wanting to follow Jesus, that happened only because God's Spirit is dwelling in your heart. We would fall away completely and cease believing immediately were it not for the work of the Holy Spirit. And as you grow attuned to these works of God's Spirit in your life, as you start taking notice of them and realizing that the flesh is never going to produce any of this, your heart will inevitably overflow with gratitude. You'll be just seeing all the time thousands of reasons to give God thanks. You'll find yourself instinctively saying, either aloud or at least in your heart, Revelation 1.5, To him who has loved us and freed us from our sins by his blood, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. The deepest wells bring forth the coldest water. Similarly, hearts deeply aware both of their sinfulness and of God's spirit at work in them will bring forth the most exuberant praise. Here ends ends the thoughts of Thomas Watson. Now, in conclusion, I want to remind you again of the great foundation of all of our blessings. What is it that underlines all the gifts? What, What is it that is the foundation of every reason we have to give God thanks? What is that one thing that if everything else were taken away, we would still have an abundant reason to give God praise? I talked about this last week, but I'm talking about, again, the person and work of our Lord Jesus. Romans 5.8 says God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Do you know what that means? At the end of the day, God shows his love for us, not primarily in keeping us healthy, wealthy, and wise, those, though those, are again, are gifts that we should thank him for. At the end of the day, God proves that he loves us by sending his son. The Bible tells us that you were made to know God. This is why you exist. This is why you're on the planet. This is one of the ways that you're different from animals. You were made to know God in a personal way as a heavenly father and out of that personal relationship with your creator to give him thanks. And yet the reality of the matter is you've sinned. I've sinned. We've lived the way we wanted to live regardless of any way that God designed it to be lived. We basically try to live as if there is no God when in reality he is a loving, caring, gracious heavenly father who delights to take care of us. We break God's laws thousands of times, and most of the time it doesn't even bother us. And what you need to see is that this refusal to give God thanks, this natural ingratitude that we've been talking about all morning, that's simply a symptom and a proof that our hearts are naturally alienated from God. Now, because God is good, he will punish us for our sins. He will pour out his wrath and judgment on us for our sins, somewhat in this life but far, far more in a judgment yet to come. On that judgment day, after death, when we stand before God and give an account for our lives. And on that day, if we do not have a Savior, if we do not have forgiveness of sins, that will involve a judgment, a punishment too horrible for words. And yet, under these very circumstances, God, in His great love, He still loved us. And He demonstrated His love for sinners in a particular way. God sent His Son down from heaven. His son took on flesh and blood, born to the Virgin Mary, given the name Jesus. Little baby Jesus, fully God, fully man, in one person. He grows up and lives the perfect life of obedience we should have lived. Really, at the end of the day, he's the only person who ever gave God thanks in all circumstances. If you know the rest of the story, in in his mid-30s, Jesus began this rather brief traveling ministry. Went around Galilee teaching, performing miracles, casting out demons, As you've probably heard, he was arrested, unjustly tried, nailed to a cross where he hung and bled out and died. And what the Bible teaches is that when Jesus died on that cross, he was dying there as a substitutionary sacrifice. He was taking all the guilt and shame and judgment that we deserve for our sins, including our sin of ingratitude, he was taking all of that on himself in our place. He absorbed it in full such that there's nothing left for us to contribute. And praise God, three days later, God the Father raised him back from the dead to demonstrate that everything he taught about himself is true. And now it's in response to what Jesus has done. He is calling you to repent or to turn from your sin. Trust in the Lord Jesus. Be saved. Be forgiven. Be reconciled to your creator. It's really that simple. We're all born running from God, going this way. What's repentance? It's not quitting all your sins. That won't happen until you get to heaven. But it's turning. I I was running from God. I want to turn back to God. I was marching to my own drum. I want to now march according to God's drum. That's repentance, but also embracing Jesus, relying on what he has done. That's how anyone is saved and made right with God. So in conclusion, I beg you to trust Jesus now. Trust him now. If you've never committed yourself body and soul to the Lord Jesus, do it right now, this moment. Declare war on your sin, turn from your rebellion, embrace his loving leadership, and enter back into that relationship with God, your Heavenly Father, you were created for. This is why Jesus came to earth, to reconcile us to God and to secure our home in heaven. And that is offered to you now freely by grace, if you'll but trust in Jesus. And as always, if any of you would like to discuss these things further, need clarification on something that I've said, would like somebody to pray with you, pray for you, please talk to me after the service. I'll be at the front door to greet people on the way out. But trust Jesus as your Lord and Savior today, and today come to know this one great reason which actually enables us to give thanks in all circumstances. Let's pray. Oh God, we do give you thanks for your Son, Jesus our Lord. We thank you for the way that he saves to the uttermost, the chief of sinners. Lord, we are saved purely by grace, not by anything that we have done, could do, will do. Not even by thanksgiving are we saved, but we're saved only by what Jesus has done. We thank you for that. And yet at the same time, again, we want to grow. We want to change. We want to be conformed more and more to the image of your son. So by your Holy Spirit, make us grateful, people. Make us very cognizant of our blessings, both temporal and spiritual, and And out of that, move us to delight, praise, to give you thanks in all circumstances. Through Jesus we pray. Amen.